let's look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 9 is where we find ourselves today. All right, you remember Philippians is a letter written by Paul to the church at Philippi. He's going to address some very personal issues right now. Some of the leaders in the church are at odds with each other. Some of the most prominent leaders in the church are at odds with each other. Uh, the church as a whole was facing persecution. The town, if you remember, uh, when, when Paul started the church in Philippi, it started with persecution. And that persecution, as far as we know, has never let up. The people of the town do not, do not like that the Christian gospel is being preached. They're opposing it. They're giving the people who, who are a part of this church a hard time. Paul himself was thrown into jail for preaching the gospel in Philippi. And so that's the, the situation that they're in. And because of all these things, we got leaders, our leaders are, are, aren't getting along, the, the world hates us, the people themselves uh, apparently are struggling to, to keep a positive attitude and to see the good of what God is doing in their church and in the world, and their thoughts are, are, are drifting towards the negative. So Paul has a solution for this, it's a threefold solution, let's look at, at chapter 4, verse 2. He says, I urge Euodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Fathers, we reflect on the situation of the Philippian church. It, it doesn't feel all that different than the world that we live in today. People fighting with each other. The church being opposed and oppressed. And with everything going on, some days it's just hard to see anything good left in this world. But we know that you have an answer for all of those issues. And so today as we look at, at your word given through the Apostle Paul by the Holy Spirit, may we see it as a word for us today. May we, may we take this word and apply it to our lives and to our similar situation for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here's a church in somewhat a state of turmoil. What are we going to do about Euedia and Syntyche? They're not getting along. They're, they're prominent leaders. They're fighting with each other. Man, this, this city is growing weary of us. They don't want us here. We're, we're facing persecution. People are worrying. Are they going to lose their livelihood? Are they going to be thrown in jail like Paul was? Are they going to be physically persecuted? There's lots of things to worry about. And it just doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of good happening here anymore. Does that feel a little bit familiar? It certainly does to me. 
We don't know what these leaders in the church are, why they're at odds with each other. We don't know what they're fighting about. We don't know what they're facing, but we know what we're fighting about. And our, our world and the church is not exempt. Our world is fighting about so many things right now. We're fighting about vaccines and we're fighting about masks and we're fighting about kids in school and we're fighting about politics and we're fighting about everything and the church, unfortunately, is not immune to that. So what do we do when we find ourselves on the other side of an issue from a brother or sister in Christ? Paul gives the answer. It's not... Magical, but it is important. If you have the handout in front of you, and I, by the way, I apologize, we didn't have somebody distributing the handouts today, so you may have come in without a handout. I, I do sincerely apologize for that. But if you do have the handout in front of you and you want to take notes today, the first fill in the blank is this get along in the Lord. Get along in the Lord. Maybe that doesn't sound too helpful. <laughs> As, you know, as, as I don't know about you, but I grew up with siblings who were very close in age, and we fought day and night, and, you know, we, we trusted that these all-knowing, all-caring, wise parents that we had would have the solution to our arguments, but I learned very early on that when I'd go to my parents to settle these disputes, they really didn't have anything helpful to offer. I usually just got in trouble for bringing the problems to them. Maybe that's what this feels like. Maybe it feels like Paul's just saying, would you guys just get along? Stop fighting. That's not really a solution, is it? But it is. And he, he, if, as we look at this a little more closely, I think you'll see the solution he's proposing. Get along in the Lord. He says in verse 2, I urge you, Edia, and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Agree in the Lord. What are they fighting about? I don't know. It doesn't matter, obviously. If we needed to know what they were fighting about, we'd be told what they were fighting about. What we do need to know is that Paul has exhorted them, and he's done it publicly now. This letter would have been read in front of the entire church. Imagine right now, if in this sermon, I'm preaching about the need for brothers and sisters in Christ to get along in the Lord, and I singled out two of you. It's exactly what Paul does. And he repeats the command, I urge, I urge. He speaks to both of them, I urge to agree in the Lord. In the Lord is the secret sauce here. In the Lord is a phrase that Paul uses throughout this letter and some of his other letters to indicate that what he's asking them to do is not something that can be done simply in the natural in your own strength, in your flesh. It's not something that should be attempted in your own strength. It is something that you are going to need to depend on and engage the help of the Holy Spirit in order to accomplish this. If, it was as, if this was as simple as, hey, just grow up, just get over it, get along, then the Paul would not have used the phrase in the Lord. What he's saying is, I'm asking you to do something that's going to require the help of the Holy Spirit. If you look, anytime Paul uses that phrase, he's pointing them to do something that you just can't do on your own. That's why he says, do it in the Lord. 
you're going to need supernatural intervention. How are we to get along within the church when we so disagree on certain issues? It's going to be the work of the Holy Spirit. Remember Jesus praying before he left the earth, before he went to the cross, actually, uh, praying uh, for the disciples, and not just for the disciples that were there then, but the disciples throughout all time, and he was praying that we would be unified and that by our love for each other, we, we, would, we would be known throughout the world. This is an important issue to God. He says in verse 3, Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Here we find some clues as to why it's so important for Paul, to Paul that these ladies get along with each other. Why is it an imperative that they get along? And, 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 and by implication, why is it imperative that we get along within the church? The answer is because they and because we are co-workers whose names are in the book of life. These, these women that he singles out here he doesn't only point to their disunity, but he commends them. Help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side. To contend for the gospel at Paul's side, this is an indication that these women were serious about the faith. They were serious about the gospel. People who contended for the gospel at Paul's side suffered persecution. Many of them ended up in jail with him. These are women who were committed to the gospel. They were committed to the cause of Christ. It's not a small thing that they're not getting along. Their disunity to the world that is watching them may be discrediting the message of the gospel that Paul is contending alongside of them to bring to lost and dying people. That's why their unity is so important. And can I suggest that our unity is equally important? The idea that we would get along in the Lord is no small thing. If we don't get along, if we fight with each other over things that, that aren't the main thing, you know, we talk, we talk about uh, closed-hand issues and open-hand issues. Most of the things that we fight over... I, Almost always the things that we fight over are open-hand issues. They're things that we could simply agree to disagree on and, and walk together still in unity in the Lord because we agree on the main things. We agree on the gospel. We agree on the place of the word of God within the church. We agree on our mission. As long as we have those things in common, then then we can choose to disagree over so many things, but we need to choose to disagree in a way that, that looks a lot more like unity than disunity. And it's important that our world, as they look in on what we're doing, they see people who are committed to being unified in the gospel. This is not a small thing. It may just sound like a couple of ladies in the church fighting with each other, but Paul takes up precious space within his letter in order to address this issue. He calls them out publicly. He doesn't shame them. In fact, he commends them. 
He's calling them to the important task of getting along in the Lord. He speaks of them highly. Help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life, whose, whose lives, whose souls, let's say, have been saved for eternity. He makes, he makes this issue of them getting along, this issue of their unity, much bigger than probably most of them were thinking of it as. And so should we. We should not be content to be at odds with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We should make it our effort to get along in the Lord. We see this all the time in the secular world. You see sports teams and, and businesses. You see marriages break up and, and, and because of their inability to get along. It's it's something that, you know, as a, you may not be a sports fan, that's fine. I think you'll still understand this analogy. But as a sports fan, we see it all the time. You know, this team, they invest all this money and all this effort into getting all these superstars on their team. Whoa, there we go. That wasn't bad reflexes, huh? They put all of this effort into recruiting this, what they think is going to be a winning team, only to come to find out that the people on the team who have all the talent in the world can't get along with each other. And because they don't get along with each other, they fail to reach their goal. They don't accomplish their mission. They become a losing team. How much more important is our team? How much more important is the church? The church is the physical representation of Jesus Christ on the earth. If you know of an organization or if you know of a team, or if you know of a group of people that is more important than the group that is assigned with representing Jesus Christ on the earth, I would love to hear about it. This is the most important thing in the world. So get along in the Lord. Don't allow disunity to be the thing that discredits our message to the watching world. I wonder how many people in the city of Philippi would hear the gospel, but they would point, oh yeah, but Eudea and Syntyche, those women, man, they're causing all kinds of drama, all kinds of fighting over there. They don't even get along with each other. Why would I want to be a part of that? How sad it is when the, when the message of the church is discredited by the behavior of the people within it. Yet that seems to be the norm. Seems to be the norm. When you go about town and you, you bring up a certain church, how, how common is it for somebody to bring up somebody they don't like in that church or something that they, yeah, but that one time this church did that or one time this church did that, this, and, and, and you know, some of those things are inevitable. But it ought to be our heart. It ought to be our desire to get along. It ought to be our desire to get along in the Lord, to be a people of unity, to major on the majors and to minor on the minors, to make the main thing the main thing and not allow secondary issues, not allow disagreements over things that aren't the gospel to become what defines us. This is the most important group of people on the earth. Not just us, but the church as a whole, but you're representing Christ. 
It's through us that the world will know what he's like. What do we want that representation to look like? Get along in the Lord, Paul says. And he gives them a little more help. He doesn't leave them. Remember, you know, my illustration of of parents that really don't want to get involved and have solutions. Paul has plenty of solutions. First, he points them to the, the need to do this supernaturally, the need to do this with the help of the Holy Spirit. Get along, agree in the Lord. Then he says in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Why does Paul give this command to rejoice? I think one of the reasons, perhaps, is because rejoicing is impossible in the presence of bitterness and strife. You cannot be mad at another person and rejoice at the same time. Bitterness and resentment towards another human being makes rejoicing impossible. Try to do those two things at the same time. But vice versa... Bitterness and strife and resentment are impossible in the presence of rejoicing. If you make the decision to rejoice, that will direct your heart, it will direct your emotions, it will turn your mind towards the good that is happening. When you disagree with somebody, rejoice. Rejoice that you don't need to agree with everybody on everything. Rejoice that God is bigger than this. Rejoice that you have a brother or sister in Christ to disagree with. Rejoice that that relationship even exists. And rejoice that one day we'll be together in eternity and and our disagreements will dissolve and we'll be in unity. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Then he says in verse 5, And let your graciousness be known to everyone. And then he tags on this little phrase, the Lord is near. This pointed reminder of why all of this is so important. Agree in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. There it is, in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. You can't do that in in your own strength always. You need his help. Let your graciousness be known to everyone The Lord is near. Paul's not afraid to use the imminent return of Christ as motivation for Christian living. You think, well, maybe that's a little manipulative. Paul's not afraid of that. I'm not saying he's not afraid of being manipulative. He's not afraid of using the reality that the Lord could return at any time as motivation. And, And we should think the same way. I think that's actually a healthy way of thinking, that, that we know that at any moment, either Jesus could return, and I could be, have to give an account for how I'm living right now in this moment, or I could die for any number of reasons or causes and have to stand before him. Our standing before the Lord, whether through his return or through our going to him, is absolutely imminent. It could happen at any moment that's a healthy motivation that's a healthy reason to think man i should care about how i live my life every day now obviously you can become obsessive and unhealthy in a lot of ways if you continue to well it it become unhealthy but it's a good motivation jesus uses it often 
and it's not inappropriate to do so. You know why? Because people die every single day. Unexpectedly, people die every single day. It's one of the harshest realities of this, of this life, of this world, is that we are not guaranteed anything in terms of longevity on the earth. Any number of things that could happen, could, any number of things could happen at any moment that would instantly put us before the Lord to give an account for our lives. So let your graciousness be known to everyone. It's not worth holding on to bitterness. It's not worth holding on to an argument. It's not worth holding on to a disagreement with somebody in light of the nearness of the Lord. All right, get along in the Lord, number one. That's, that's Paul, the first part of Paul's solution to the situation they find themselves in. And not what I'm contending is the situation we find ourselves in. Number two, don't worry, pray. Don't worry, pray. Verse six says, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God. Don't worry, pray. Don't worry about anything. That is a strong command. But in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. It's one of the most beautiful things of the Christian life that we have a God who is our Father in heaven, who cares for us, He's, he's a loving God who cares about every single thing that happens to us. And we have this privilege of making our requests known to him, of taking our burdens to him, of taking the things that are weighing us down and, and giving them over to him. If you have the privilege of loving parents on the earth, and if you don't have the privilege of loving parents on the earth, um, hopefully somebody uh, more powerful than you at some point in your life has loved you enough that you could go to them with a burden and, ex and, and, and share that burden with them and have them respond with some version of, don't worry, I'll take care of that. Hopefully everybody in here has had the experience and the joy and the relief of knowing that you have just turned over your burden into capable and loving hands with full assurance that they were going to take care of it. That is the privilege that all of us have to come to our Heavenly Father in prayer to bring the things that are bothering us, to present them to Him, and to have Him say, don't worry, I'll take care of it. That's the concept of, of, of verse 6 here. That we need not worry about anything, but that in everything, through prayer and petition, we make, that, we, make that, we make that God's problem to handle, if you will. And he lovingly and gladly takes that and says, I'll take care of this. Matthew 6, Jesus said, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. I mean, these are some of the most basic things of life. If, if, if we're not to worry about this, he says, Jesus says, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his life by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe the wildflowers, how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. And this is the point of what Jesus is saying. He says, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What are you worried about today? I don't mean that condescendingly. Literally, what are you worried about today? I know what I'm worried about. What are you worried about? Don't you know that your Father in Heaven loves you? Don't you know that He has already he has already planned out how he's going to care for you. This is not a promise of a trouble-free life. This is not a promise that nothing's ever going to go wrong and that you won't face suffering and that you won't face difficulty. And this isn't to say that you don't need to get up and work so that you have food and so that you have clothing. This isn't, this isn't any of that. But what it is is, is it is a promise that you have a heavenly father who cares about every little thing that happens to you. So don't worry. Rest in him. I remember Alistair Begg preaching a sermon on anxiety years ago. Uh, and he used the, the analogy of getting on a plane and the pilot comes on. And he gives a description of what's going to happen. This is what we're going to do. We're going to take this pad, blah, blah, blah. It's going to take this long. And then ends with, so why don't you just sit back, relax, and enjoy the flight. That is the privilege that we have. That is the privilege that we have in Jesus Christ. That we have a Father who loves us. That he cares about everything that happens to us that he won't abandon us in any situation that we fear may come, and we can just sit back, relax, and enjoy the flight. This is What is the result of giving our worries to God in prayer? Paul answers that in verse 7. He says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The result of, so verse 6 says, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Notice Paul doesn't say, hey, just don't, just don't worry, everything is going to work out. He says, don't worry, instead of worrying, pray. Instead of worrying, present your request to God. Transfer, transfer the burden of what you're worried about over to God and let him take care of it. Allow him to... To, to care for you and to shepherd you through that and let him be God. Let him figure out how to handle all of this. If you do that, the, 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 what you will receive in verse 7 is the peace of God 
which surpasses all understanding, which will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Man, that's a beautiful thing to walk in, to have peace instead of worry. Instead of the burden of the things that could be and that perhaps are already happening, to have the peace of God, which is not dependent upon everything going okay. The reason it's the peace of God that surpasses all understanding is because, again, this is not a promise that nothing will go wrong. It's a promise that in the midst of everything going wrong, you can, you can give your worry to God and in exchange for that worry, receive peace that passes understanding. The, the peace that, that doesn't make sense in light of the circumstances. That is the gift of God. That he takes our worry and he gives us this peace, peace which surpasses all understanding. Wednesday, um, many of you know my stepson Chase, who's, who's uh, getting ready to turn 21. He's 20 right now. Um, last year went through treatment for cancer and he went through surgery and chemo and the whole nine and it was a pretty um, it was a rough few months but he came through it really well and he's been very healthy he finished up treatment back in either October November and he's he's recovered physically and he's been very healthy since but he still goes back for routine blood work and so this past Wednesday he he went to his appointment to go over his routine blood work and uh, I'll tell you the end of the story, because uh, I think it's important to do that. It was a false alarm, but his, um, his oncologist told him that his cancer was back uh, as a result of the blood work. That, that's what they knew. And he, um, that's not good news, by the way, <laughs> obviously, um, especially so quickly. And he, he said, we're going to get you back in here tomorrow and we're going to do all the scans um, you're probably going to start chemo next week we need to get you right back into chemo um, you know started going over this plan and, and Chase called us and, and let us know we called his mom and, his, and Kim called me and let me know And um, boy I'll tell you everything changed real quick like really quick we have a vacation planned for this week um, we have ministry things, a calendar full of ministry things, and we're just looking at all of that going, a lot of this is going to not happen now, and um, just just shaking our heads going, wow, how, how can we be here? And so um, they said, well, we're going to draw blood work again just to make sure sometimes mistakes happen, and uh, the blood work was done at a different lab. And so they drew blood work, and about two hours after that first announcement of your cancer's back, they came back and said, oh, no, everything's perfectly fine. <laughs> Which was a relief and also just impossible to process at the same time. Um, we were just, we were undone for two hours, and then for the rest of the day, just totally unable to think. Uh, just couldn't believe how quickly things changed and how quickly everything was normal again. And I say that today um, because in that moment, though everything was going horribly wrong in terms of my life and my world and the people that I care about, uh, I distinctly remember God pointing me back to 
some things that we've looked at in Scripture as a church recently. And I think that is the result of prayerful living. That when we're thrust into a situation where there's no justification for having peace, when we're thrown into a situation where there's, there's really no, no justification for being okay, that this, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guards our hearts and minds. It, it protects us from the devastation of the reality that sometimes we exist in. And so I encourage you, don't worry, pray. Present your request to God. Give him your worry, receive his peace, and go about your life confident in the gospel. Number three, focus on the good. So you've got this situation where leaders aren't getting along. Prominent leaders within the church are at odds with each other. That's a problem. If Greg and I have beef, if Greg and I don't agree about, about how to move forward, if Greg and I are, are, are at odds with one another, it's going to affect the whole church. That's just the reality. So this is their situation. You have prominent leaders who aren't getting along. You have, they're living in this context in, in the city of Philippi where they're just always being opposed and they have all kinds of reasons to worry and to be anxious. But, but Paul instructs them not to, to worry about those things but to pray. And then and, and in the light of everything that's happening, they're just living in this world that just seems dark. Is there anything good left in this world? Is there, is there anything to be happy about? And Paul instructs them to focus on the good. Verse 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. So they're, they're living in this context where there's lies being spread about them. And Paul says, forget the lies, what's true? What's true is the gospel. What's true is that Jesus Christ came and died for your sins and he's, he's gifted you eternal life and forgiveness of your sins. What is true is that he has employed you into his service as his ambassadors to take that wonderful message to the people around you. Yes, many of them are going to oppose you. Yes, many of them are going to spread lies about you and say terrible things about you. But what is also true is the gospel. What is honorable? There, there are things that are dishonorable happening in their midst. Their leaders aren't getting along. But are there things that are honorable that are happening? Yes, focus on those. Whatever is just, whatever is pure, love, you, you understand we have a choice in what we dwell on in our own minds. What we choose to think about day in and day out and as we, as we go about our lives is really up to us. Paul says, dwell on these things. When we saturate our minds with the negative things happening in the world, when we sit around and watch the news all day, when we saturate our minds with people fighting on Facebook, when we sit alone and we dwell on all of the bad things that have happened in our lives, all of the bad things that, are, that could be happening in the future. When we saturate our minds with negative things happening in the world, we'll, we'll fall into worry and despair. 
But when we choose to focus on the good things that God is doing, we'll rejoice and experience his peace. Which of those do you want? Do you want the negative consequences of worry, which is despair and anxiety? Or do you want to rejoice and have peace? You literally get to choose which of those you have by what you choose to dwell on. Uh, PD told me when I was in, in college, he, he always had these sayings that were memorable and helpful, and one of them has stuck with me. He said, if the thought you think doesn't bring life, refuse to think the thought. That's proverbial, okay? It's not always it's not, it's, it's not gospel truth. It's not always perfect. It's not always possible. But it's, it, it's a general rule that if, hey, if you're thinking, if you just find yourself always thinking about, well, I can't believe this has happened in my life, or I can't believe, or I'm worried that this is going to happen. If you're always thinking about these things that are just bringing you down with despair and anxiety and worry, why don't you just stop thinking those thoughts? I know, easier said than done. But It's doable. You can actually choose to think about something else. And Paul gives them a list of things to think about. I mean, if we, if, uh, we could do one of two things. I could get a big whiteboard out here and I could say, okay, tell me everything that's bothering you. Tell me how you feel about the vaccines and the Delta variants and about the, poli- the, the politics that are going on in America. Tell me how you feel about the weather. Tell me how you feel, you know, uh, you know how, how your current health situation. Uh, tell me everything that's bothering you and we could, just, we could just dwell on those things. Or we could do the opposite. We could, we could say, hey, forget all of that. We know that's going on. We can't do anything about most of that. Let's talk about what is true. Let's talk about what is honorable, what is just. Where have you seen God work? You know, that whole thing that happened in our, in our family on Wednesday, the cool thing was about that was it was a painful process, but I saw God work in Chase's life as he experienced that, as Chase was turning to the Lord in the midst of that. So how about instead of thinking about what could go wrong, we choose to focus on what went right and what is good and what God is doing, what is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. You literally get to choose this. It takes intentional effort. It won't just happen because, because I preached the point of a sermon about it. You'll have to choose to do this. Focus on the gospel. Focus on how much God has done for you in your life. Focus on the fact that Jesus came and died in your place on the cross to, get, to bring you salvation. Focus on the eternity that he is preparing for us right now as we speak. As bad as things may be going in this world, things are going to be infinitely good in eternity. <clears throat> Paul says in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, In view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Verse 2, he says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. To be conformed 
to this age is to worry. Worry about everything. To, I mean, the, uh, I don't, you know, I keep talking about the news. That's kind of stupid. But the news is so negative. Negativity sells. Fear and panic and anger and bitterness and resentment brings you back. It, 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 it pulls you in. It makes you keep watching and keep clicking and keep, keep engaged with what they're selling. And it kills your soul. So that's what it means to be conformed to this age, part of what it means to be conformed. I, mean, not, I don't want to reduce this passage just down to this point I'm making in the sermon. But part of what it means to be conformed to this age is that, but instead we're called to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. The renewing of our minds comes from the word of God. As we dwell on the word of God and as we dwell on the good things that God is doing and what God is, is bringing about through the salvation of many people and through the building of his kingdom for eternity, then our minds are renewed. And when our minds are renewed, we can discern what is good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God. We'll have peace. We'll have peace. All right, let me recap and then do the last point. Get along in the Lord. Don't worry, but pray. Focus on the good. And then I just want to reemphasize what Paul says here. Do these things and you will have peace. Do these things and you will have peace. If I can go back to verse 7, after Paul says, Don't worry about anything, but present your request to God. He says in verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's literally the result of doing what he said. The result of choosing to not worry but to pray is that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He says something very similar in verse 9. After he says, you know, focus on the good. Brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, morally excellent, praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Then he says in verse 9, right after that, do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. I think we all want peace. The path to peace is living according to the word of God. The path to peace is not found in you know, so there's things that we worry about in the future. We worry about what's going to happen to us in terms of our physical health. We worry about our financial health. We worry about our mental health. We worry about all of these things. We worry about us, right? The path to peace is not exercise and proper diet and supplements. I'm not knocking those things. I'm just saying those don't bring peace. Healthy people die all the time. The path to peace is, is not financial security for the future. People lose their fortunes all of the time. That won't bring you peace. It's not a bad thing. And we should be good stewards and prepare for the future and prepare for, you know, all of those things. I'm not, I'm not knocking that any more than I'm knocking healthy living. But I'm saying those are not the path to peace. Because at the end of the day, you're still going to sit there and you're going to think, but maybe I didn't save enough. Maybe I didn't eat enough kale. Maybe I didn't exercise enough. And you might be right. 
But the one thing that will never fail you is the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Because the peace of God comes into all circumstances, even when there's tragedy, even when there's the loss of physical health, even when there's financial ruin, even when, when mental health is gone. The peace of God passes all understanding. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me, and the God of peace will be with you. If I had to choose between a healthy body, financial security, and whatever else might, people might look to for peace, and the God of peace being with me, I'll take that. I'll take that. Because I can walk into financial ruin and I can walk into physical illness and I can walk into whatever this life might, might bring my way and if I have the God of peace with me, I will have peace. So church, in this world where not everybody gets along, where the world doesn't necessarily like us, and where there's so much bad going on in this world that we could be just tempted to live in despair. What's, what's the point? Let's just be miserable and grumpy and upset all the time. I exhort you, get along in the Lord. Make it your aim to get along with all of your brothers and sisters in Christ as much as it's dependent upon you. Don't worry, but pray. Make your requests known to him. Give him the things that you're worried about and allow his peace to surround you. And finally, focus on the good. Most of all, focus on the gospel because the gospel is the ultimate eternal good. Focus on the work of Jesus Christ to save our souls and his building up of his church by saving the people uh, around us and saving people within our community and bringing them into the kingdom of God. Focus on that. This This world might just go down the tubes. America, everybody's panicking uh, uh, over the direction of our country and the direction of the world. I can't promise you that that's going to all work out okay. It might get a lot worse, but the gospel will still be the gospel. The kingdom of God will last for all of eternity. So get along in the Lord. Don't worry, but pray. Focus on on the good, the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Your word is true and it brings life. God, help us to resist the natural tendency of living in this world, which is to fight with one another, to be overcome with worry and anxiety, and to dwell on all the bad things happening. (laughs) God, we don't want to be those people. We want to be gospel people. We want to be people who who get along with the help of the Holy Spirit. We want to be people who transfer our burdens and our worries to you and experience your peace. And we want to be people who are focused on the good news of the gospel. That this isn't the end. That our destination is eternal glory with you. And God, if there's anybody here today who's who's not received the gift of salvation by trusting in Jesus Christ, I pray that they today would repent of their sins.
and believe that what Jesus did on the cross was for them and that they'd become part of our family. Father, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.